0: Hey everyone, I'm Adam Vargas, your host. Happy to be here on Joystick, the podcast for your retro gaming needs. We've got a new yarn this episode, so stick around and enjoy. Today's story is uh, pretty inspiring, I'd say. It's about two brothers, Chad and Jared Moldenhauer. And if any of you know those names, you know what's coming up. If not, well, enjoy the show. So, as kids, these two watched all sorts of animations, just like you or I, but, well, a lot of us, most of us, I'd say, would watch Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. These guys, they watched Fleischer Brothers and Classic Disney. 1930s, 1920s animation. Animation going back so many decades. The golden age of animation this was. It was the foundation on which modern cartoons Oh their lifeblood, too. They also love video games, like you or I, and I'm sure a lot of our older audience members here can remember the likes of Super Mario World, Contra 3, Thunder Force, Street Fighter 3, Mega Man. These games came out in the 1980s, so definitely much more recent, much more modern. These kind of games a lot of people grew up with today and are still very relevant to gaming, but... Definitely nowadays, they are still considered to be the classic games, the foundational games, the, the, the NES-era NES 1980s of video games being a golden age in and of itself. The age of old-school platformers and shoot 'em ups So we're talking two very different decades here, but very similar, I think we can say. Foundational decades that defined everything that would come with those mediums, with animation, with gaming. And these two brothers were inspired by these childhood staples to come and make a game for themselves. A dream project to marry these two decades together. And their first attempt was in 2000, but that wasn't a really good decade to start developing a game for two brothers with a shoestring budget. We're talking about games being increasingly dominated by you triple-A games, bigger budget games, with a developer and an overseeing publisher. We all know these games. But 2000 in particular, that was just a hallmark year. I'm I'm looking at the titles that were released in this year. Deus Ex, Diablo 2, Baldur's Gate 2, Hitman, Shogun Total War. A lot of these are either continuations of franchises that are just legendary today, or are franchise starters. You know, Deus Ex and, what was it, Shogun? famous titles today. They started their own franchises that a lot of you guys still recognize today. We know Total War. We know Deus Ex. 2000 was in of itself a hallmark, a foundational year of it in and of itself. So as you can imagine, this is a very competitive environment, very limiting for these two brothers. And not to mention that tools for independent developers were kind of limited at the time. But they were inspired again 10 years later, by the successful launch of Super Meat Boy by Team Meat. Now this was the rise of another hallmark of indie gaming, what we're all about. More tools and engines became a lot more accessible for smaller developers, and not only that, but you have a lot of digital platforms for selling games. Back when there was only the GameStops and hardware stores of of yesteryear that, that sold games, now we started seeing good old games, Steam, GameJolt, really gaining traction, selling games completely digitally, far more convenient for some people, for a lot of people, really, and especially developers who can't exactly afford to make a deal with the, you know, your GameStops or with a publisher that would be willing to act on their behalf. So now, as you can imagine, with this new environment, with this new inspiration coming back and, and bringing Jared and Chad back to, into this swing of things, they decided to found Studio MDHR Entertainment. And this dream project would be their first game under this studio name. And from there, they worked entirely from their homes in Toronto, Ontario, and Saskatchewan, if I'm saying that correctly. So yeah, this was very much a mom-and-pop game, if you will. And from there, the development process would take seven years in total. So a lot of the info we're talking about here was actually talked about in an interview with Maria Moldenhauer, uh, their sister. She had joined the team in 2013 as a fellow artist and producer. She was also the sole inking artist for the project. We'll cover why that's important in a minute. So For the first three years, from 2010 to 2012, it was apparently more concept work, just figuring out what these two brothers wanted the project to be in the first place. They had the general idea, but they wanted to iron down exactly how they were going to deliver it. So 2013, as Maria uh, explains, was where they put pencil to paper, when the project really got the go-ahead where they decided exactly how they were going to marry 1980s games with 1930s animation. So let's talk about that and talk for a second, The this animation from the 1930s. This was an animation technique that had to be built from hand-drawn cells, tracing and sketching paper, loads and loads of paper, according to Maria. and. Just for perspective, they studied this animation style. They tried to replicate it in digital form, actually, at first. But according to Maria, they just couldn't get the right look and feel of it, so they went straight to pencil and paper. So they hand-drew every single animation, every asset that you see in that game. Uh, The game being talked about, as I'm sure some of you have already guessed, is Cuphead. and As you can imagine, that's a huge undertaking for a game to be produced entirely, well, at least the assets, asset-wise and animation, by hand. The backgrounds were produced in watercolor. And then the animation itself uh, was drawn by hand, was inked by hand, but apparently they decided to go ahead and color it in in Photoshop, because apparently trying to color in with marker and coloring it in with the program Produce pretty much similar results, so to save time and money, they went with Photoshop. So that is the animation process they had to go through to replicate that style. For gameplay, they wanted classic run and gun mechanics. I listed a lot of the games that they were inspired by Contra 3, Mega Man, uh, Street Fighter 3, two, uh, a very consistent theme going on, and what they the concept they decided to go with was a 2D side-scroller with hand-run animation in flat 2D environments, and for the most part, it would be boss fights. In fact, their initial project was much smaller in scope than what it turned out to be today. They wanted it to be a boss rush game, where the only enemies you see are the bosses, a la Mega Man, as uh, Maria explains it. where the player can at any time in the game pick any one of the eight bosses with their own obstacles and challenges. And the reason why they started so small was because the team wasn't so sure about the appeal of their mixed style. They weren't sure if people were actually going to like it at the time. It was such a new and interesting thing. It was such a personal thing. And they weren't so sure if people were really going to fall in love with it the way that they had by, by virtue of being the ones doing this project. So, in the meantime, they had chosen the Unity game engine to produce their game. And Unity, for those of you who don't really know, is one of the most widespread modern gaming engines in use by developers, especially among indies, because it's a much lower cost to be able to purchase the licensing to use it. For perspective, that thing has had 5 billion downloads today, with about 2.5 billion mobile devices. And so, yeah, they they picked a very widespread platform, on which to build their game. But they also wanted to replicate the music of the 1930s, so for that they had approached Chris Madigan, composer and percussionist from Toronto, to help create a band orchestra and original score that would call back to 1930s jazz and ragtime music. These brothers, they wanted to go all out with their vision, even when, at first, it was much smaller than what it would turn out to be later. So. Later in the first year of their real development, on October the 25th, their first teaser trailer was released on YouTube. Now, this thing got massive popular reception, enough that Microsoft approached them, apparently. Some of the people might not know this, but Microsoft actually approached them and offered to become a partner, Microsoft being a pretty big deal in game publishing right now. Microsoft wanted the project to be console-exclusive for the Xbox One, and the studio was able to strike a deal so that they could also release it on PC in addition to the Xbox One so that, uh, that their title could reach as many people as possible while still being under this deal with Microsoft. As a result of this, the studio gained massive support, PR exposure, word of mouth at conventions and conferences, all that. But otherwise, apparently, according to Maria, Microsoft was very off-hands on the studio's project and timescale. They gave them all the time and uh, production, scheduling, they needed to work on their own creative vision. And that's that's really cool. That's something that, that is always magical about indie games, is that because of the lack of a publisher overseeing everything, you're more likely to get a more genuine voice. And sure, sometimes that might result in something very rough around the edges, Other times, like here, with Chad and and Jared, and Maria, and their dream project, it can result in something very, very special. So, we jump to two years later, in June 15th of 2015. Their second trailer launches at the E3 conference of 2015. Now this... This was a very big deal. I'm sure a lot of us out there can remember that. If you don't remember the trailer from 2013, chances are you probably remember the teaser from 2015 at E3. That was where this game got massive public exposure. A lot of popularity from that point onward, so much so that the scope of the project expanded too the studio decided they needed to have more hands to assist in the increased workload because they wanted to really appease these new fans that they had now gained just from this exposure. So, bear in mind, from a studio that started from just two brothers, Chad and Jared, had now, by the end of this project, risen up to 15 employees, with five animators to help assist in this massive undertaking, among many others, and programmers, and, and asset designers, etc., The positive reception they they got inspired them to push further and get these extra hands. So not only were there a lot more bosses than just the original 8, but you also have run and gun levels, which are much more classic kind of, you know, side-scrolling, get from point A to point B, get through obstacles and enemies kind of level design. That wasn't in the original plan for the game, but because the game was so popular and because they had the support of Microsoft, they were able to really... Uh, dig deep and push their concept as far as it could possibly go for what they had originally in mind for their project. And so finally, you see the game released on September 29th of this year. And just for some perspective on their game, Cuphead, it sold over one million copies in its first two weeks. That is some astronomical numbers for an indie game. I mean, oh, that's impressive for even a, a middle-tier kind of game. It, it's amazing. It really proves the strength of their concept of uh, of marrying two very, very disparate, very different decades and genres, but still being able to make them work so well. This is where retro gaming comes up with something very special—a marriage of two old-fashioned genres, and trying to reproduce them as faithfully as humanly possible. They did their homework and made those games as close to the original look as humanly possible, barring extra polish and color, because a lot of those 1930s cartoons were very much in black and white, with some rare exceptions. This project is a deliberate throwback, minimizing as much of modern game design and conventions and visual design as they could get away with. And the success of this project shows how... Such a dedicated vision can be absolutely powerful. It can resonate with people. And I think it's because Jad and Jared had this childhood dream, this childhood inspiration that pushed them to make something wholly unique and yet something that resonates with the old and the new generation. The old because you have all the much older people who would who might remember these old cartoons and of course middle-aged adults who would remember having played these 1980s SNES games as kids and that nostalgia resonates with people and it can reverberate onto younger people like you and I who have didn't really grow up on these kind of games and these cartoons but nevertheless we hear about them we think about them we are inspired by them because they're different because the passage of time has created such distance between us so having played cuphead i can attest it is a wonderful game i love it i i recommend it to anyone who's not only interested in retro games and indie games just anyone interested in games go support this project i uh, i I implore you, as somebody who absolutely adamantly believes in the power of indie gaming, support this project, support what these people have accomplished, because it is truly a a work of art, in my opinion. And that is today's scoop. So, until next time, I'm Adam Vargas, your host, here on Joystick for Retro Gaming Stories. Play on, and keep it happy out there.